Hey everyone, we're back. Thanks for joining us again. This week's episode, Joke More About Folklore. Aw, well, there's none of that in the church. What? Yeah. Yes, there's prolific folklore uh, in the Mormon church. There's actually entire websites dedicated to this stuff. There's so much folklore in Mormon culture, and some of it's faith-promoting, you know, others of it is just wild stories and shit, and I think the reason we wanted to mention some of these in an episode is a lot of these were were initially spoken by actual prophets, seers, and revelators. Uh. Those guys. So they're telling the truth, right? Uh, sure. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, before we jump into that fun stuff, because there's a lot of it, man, we could do probably 20 episodes alone on all the f- crazy Mormon folklore shit out there. But we've selected a few gems to share with you today. Uh, before we jump in, of course, we want to do a little... News, Dave, shall we preface it with our typical LDS Church in the news? And I didn't hear you, Davey. I was thinking about the LSD Church in the news. That's why I, I got a little, I had a, I had a flashback. I'm sorry. Sorry. Oh, okay. no, I, okay, I, I'm getting silly right off the start here, but could you imagine Oh, Rusty Nell or Rusty Ball or any one of those guys on acid. <laughs> oh, my God. They would lose their fucking minds. May- wait, maybe they would start making sense. <laughs> well, Rusty Nell would be like, uh, Wendy, get my yellow pad and my lighted pen. Yeah, he'd have all sorts of revelations, mm. I'm sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so look, LDS Church in the News, incidentally, let me pause a moment to just mention, this is our last episode of the year, Dave. No. Yeah. What comes next? (laughs) (laughs) The last episode of 2019. Craziness. Okay. Well, thanks for hanging in there with us this year, guys. Yep. 42. Wow. 42 Now, at the onset... Did we think we would be doing 42 episodes? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it, not. I, I don't know. It yeah. continues to surprise us how there's just an endless amount of information and, you know, ammo. Um, let's just call it ammo because we are kind of fighting against that damn thing called the LSD, uh, the LDS church. Yes. Yeah, we kind of are, and just lots of stuff to talk about as far as trying to relate with others who are going through the same process, right? Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, thanks, folks, for hanging out with us. So, time of change as church's sponsorship of 400,000 Boy Scouts ends. This is in the Deseret News, otherwise known as the Church's News. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. So you may have heard that it's been a while, hasn't it? I don't, has it been a couple years or more yeah. since yeah. they announced at least that they're going to, well, well, it was the, the Boy Scouts announcement that precipitated the church's response, uh-huh. but you're going to get into right. that. So yeah, a little bit. So, so the church, I'm sure all the listeners know this because you've probably been associated with the church in some way or form if you're listening to this podcast. Pretty big, I think about 20% almost of the overall Boy Scouts of America program, uh, 20% of the membership or, or close to that has been boys in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's been a big deal, a big part of the tradition of the church. You just, you did that. You you were part of the Boy Scouts when you grew up. There was really no question. And so that's been the main, whatever you want to call it, extracurricular activity or whatever for the boys in the church forever. So, I, I mean, I don't know when that started. It obviously started at some point. About the turn of the century, I if I recall. Yeah, yeah. something like that. Uh-huh. So... Uh, they've been planning. I don't know why the delay, whatever, probably, who knows? You have to prepare things. It takes a while. 
So big deal that they're leaving the Boy Scouts. Um, the biggest thing that precipitated this was the Boy Scouts some time ago said, hey, we've decided that openly gay men can be volunteer leaders in scout troops. That's a good idea, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, look, whether whether you are, whatever your stance right. on homosexuality, etc., when you have a gay man in charge of a boys group, you know, people are going to wonder, hey, wait a minute, is that a good idea, you know, etc., and whatever, and right? it, I guess. Yeah, it depends on the person. There, I I could see where in many instances there wouldn't be any problem at all, but yeah. it opens the door for some shenanigans. Yeah, it does potentially, right? Depending on the person, and so the church's response to that, the reality there is, we didn't really leave them; they kind of left us," said President M. Russell Ballard. The uh, because the the church welcomed. Well, here's the thing: the split between the Boy Scouts and the church ends a nearly century-old relationship. I'm reading from the article now: between two organizations that were brought together by shared values, but have diverged in recent years. Amid declining membership, the Boy Scouts of America accepted openly gay adult vol- volunteers. The church welcomed gay scouts. I don't think so. <laughs> hmm. That's nice. I I don't think they really felt welcomed. But uh, here's the clincher. But as troop sponsors, the church wanted to maintain the ability to select the adult leaders leading its youth. So we don't want any anybody to just be able to come in, according to the Boy Scouts' new policy, and be able to you know lead the our troops. We want to select those leaders. And and in the church, you were called, quote unquote, to be Cub Scout, Boy Scout, whatever leader. Yeah, by revelation, of course. Of course. And so what we've got then is the church is afraid, you know, this is what it's really based on, fear, that these gay men will, will be over these boys. So we're going to select safe leaders. And that, that process of vetting them would include interviews and that those would be very close to a typical bishopric type interview you know what just mm-hmm. personal questions um including about obviously their sexuality but yeah sure. what's the irony there michael <laughs> <laughs> oh well the irony is of course there is no spirit of discernment as the church claims. No. And so you've got an organization here which is perfectly set up for sexual predators, for men who want to molest boys, and that's what they do. They they try to squeeze their way into these scout leader positions, and the church is none the wiser because, again, there really is no spirit of discernment to discern what these guys really have in their heart, right, or in their mind to do with these boys. And there are numerous accounts, folks, if you do a search on Google, whatever, numerous accounts of former Cub Scouts or or Boy Scouts that were molested by their LDS, chosen by the bishop or whoever, leaders in the church. So this is just one that I dug up from the Salt Lake Tribune back in October here. Former Cub Scout sues den leader, scouting officials, and LDS church over alleged sexual abuse decades ago. And so this guy basically goes through and says he was sodomized by his leader. And this is not the first time this has happened. It's actually happened hundreds, if not thousands of times through the history of the church. Is there a merit, merit badge no. that goes with that? or? Okay, now, okay. I always have to turn the corner on things, don't I? That's terrible. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Thank God, do you want to earn a special merit badge? <laughs> oh, Sorry. Oh, that's just bad. Oh, so bad. Uh, 
Oh, this is terrible. Anyway, thanks, Dave, for adding a little humor. <laughs> I, to something. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. no, we this, pretty grim. The scouting program is great. I mean, they do teach you a lot of skills. It was uh, yeah. assumed, for instance, uh, as a member of the church, if you became an Eagle Scout, you were much more likely to receive positions of higher authority right on down the line. And and it would be stay. Oh yeah, Johnny was an Eagle Scout. Oh, well, let's let's make him a uh, priest quorum. You know, what, I don't know what it's called now, but president, I guess. Uh, well, that's actually the bishop, but you know what I'm talking about. Oh, mm-hmm. and, and actually, why not? I mean, you had to show a lot of uh, dedication. You did it. You were an Eagle, weren't you? Yeah, I was. Yeah, yep. Eagle Scout. Good for you. I think we have a position for you in my company. <laughs> what? what? For Eagle Scouts only. No, I'm not. Really? I'm not. I, I guess it's. I'm making it sound like I'm yeah. putting them down. No, I think mm-hmm. that it teaches a lot of good outdoors skills. Um, it teaches you to set goals and go after them. So mm-hmm. a lot, a lot of good things. Yeah. Yeah, I had a lot of fun uh, doing Boy Scouts. I mean, some of it felt more like work than fun, but a lot of it was fun. And, you know, campouts and and going around and and doing some fun activities. One of the issues I saw growing up, and I've seen it even more as an adult, being married, of course, to my wife and having her tell me how her experience was growing up, that the boys got to have kind of all the fun with the programs, the scouting program, campouts, stuff like that. The girls, not so much. We talked about that a little bit yeah. in silencing sister suffrage, but mm-hmm. and then uh, anyway, you got C- Cindy yeah. Lauper's song. Girls just want to have, have fun. Oh, nice Dave. <laughs> I've been working on it. <laughs> Let's talk after this episode about some, some audio career. <laughs> Maybe we could yeah, get you into certainly. <laughs> uh so look oh wait before we jump into the actual episode again we have one of my favorite pieces it's time for your information here it comes all right now last week we left off with a very wonderful i'm i'm sorry very sad event brigham young dies and then I mentioned that it took a year and two months, a year, three years and two months before they actually set, uh, called another president. I was going to say set apart, but one of the quotes that I have here is when that next first presidency was organized, none of them were set apart. So we'll, we'll get to that. What? Yeah. Yeah. They were just sustained in conference and that was it. They never... Serious. Well, <laughs> there's no precedent. Uh, uh, not really. Talk huh. about. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. I guess you're right because Brigham just kind of became the prophet. Yeah. Bull- right? Bullied I mean, his way like, into it. After Joseph's death. Yeah, the Brighamites was one of those six sects that broke off. We talked about that. Well, huh. here's okay. an example of what was going on. Sorry, I uh, tapped the mic there a bit. Uh, October 3rd, we're in 1877 again. In meeting of the 12 with Brigham Young's former counselors, Daniel H. Wells proposes that junior apostle Joseph F. Smith should become church president. Wells denies that Young ever intended for John Taylor to succeed him as church president. First time general authority proposes ending automatic succession of senior apostle. So the, hmm. there's no agreement yet after you know, all these years, they still can't agree on how how it's all going to go down. So this is part of why it took three years for them to find the next guy. Lots of politicking and decisioning. Well, here's here's some more on it. In 1887, Apostle Heber J. Grant wants lower-ranked Apostle Joseph F. Smith to become church president instead of Wilfred Woodruff or four other senior apostles. So he wants, that's an interesting word. Oh, I want him. I guess they like uh, Joseph F. He seems to be pretty popular. Uh, and that's what it's yeah. about. It's a popularity contest, right? Kind of is. Seems, Sounds seems like. To be. 
Okay, October 7th, John Taylor tells General Conference that trustee and trust office will begin giving reasonable recompense for their services to the 12 and their counselors. But I don't know what that means, 12. I guess the two counselors in the first presidency. So reasonable recompense. So they're getting paid. Hmm. So this is when officially, I guess, they started getting paid. Yeah. Or at least like publicly. Right. At least it's, yeah, it's made known. Okay. End of that year, December 16th, vision of destructions in America before second coming attributed to John Taylor because of, of a reference to reading the French language. Okay. Or to Wilford Woodruff, who records this very strange vision in his diary. Neither man claims authorship, which is actually by Mormon astrologer John Steele, who sends a copy of it to Woodruff. <laughs> so, astrological visions. And, uh, what? <laughs> yeah. This guy has a vision. He sends a copy of it to the prophet or right. whatever, and then it's attributed to the prophet having a revelation or something. Okay. Hmm. I'm I'm reading ahead. Some of the things I didn't highlight, they're pretty good, but we would be here all day. All right. Next year, 1878, February 4th, first ad in the Deseret News for Jackson's Best Sweet Navy Chewing Tobacco. What the <laughs> hell? What is the Navy part of it about? Jack, I don't Jackson's know. Best Sweet Navy Chewing Tobacco, which appears directly under a large advertisement for St. Louis Excelsior Lager Beer. <laughs> <laughs> I think a beer ad should be on top myself, but you know. Well, yeah. I agree. Yeah. All right. June 13th, LDS political newspaper, Salt Lake Herald's editorial on unhappy marriages begins, quote, we cannot say how many divorces the Utah probate courts have granted during the past few years, but the number is enormous, amounting perhaps to thousands, unquote. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that I wouldn't have really thought that, you know, with the em- no. emphasis on marriage and polygamy and yeah, well, maybe that's it. When you've got seven or eight wives running around in one house, somebody's going to want to bail. Yeah, something's going to... That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd never heard that. Nope, there we go. November 23rd, Deseret News reports Apostle Orson Pratt declared that sometimes Joseph Smith used a seer stone when inquiring of the Lord and receiving revelations. Well, just uh, um, all the time, but that's okay. At least he... So this, this is when... Go ahead, sorry. Well, no, I'm just... He said sometimes. Well, pretty much... Always, it seemed like, from what we've found, he had... Well, yeah, I was just going to say, this is when, again, speaking of publicly versus privately, publicly, they're starting to to just kind of squeeze in those little statements of, well, maybe he was using the mm -hmm. seer stone. And part of it is when you let enough time go by, you know, Joseph's been dead 35 years. So, yeah, we kind of forgot all about that stuff. All right, we're going to jump to 1879, 18th of May. In discussing whether all colored people are denied the priesthood, John Taylor rules that Chinese are eligible to receive priesthood. <laughs> Dark skin, but no, they're eligible. So really, this was a, a African ban is what it was. It seems like it. It's just interesting that I guess different people define the term colored differently. Right, right. Like, does it just mean not Caucasian? I mean, a lot of Chinese people look Caucasian. I, I, Yeah, that's interesting that they would have been included in his mind in the term colored people. I would normally think like Hispanic and, and black yeah. people in that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, yeah, that's interesting. Okay, May 24th, Apostles Brigham Young Jr. and George Q. Cannon, as editors of Deseret News, write concerning astrology, it's quite probable that some planets exert a baneful 
and others a beneficial power on the earth and its inhabitants. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, seer stones, astrology. Yeah, why not? September 10th, John Taylor and Apostles vote to officially encourage Mormon polygamists to go into hiding rather than be arrested. So it's getting pretty intense with this polygamy issue. Mm. Yeah, and there's actually caves out in the Holiday, Utah area and other areas where you can still see see them today where people, oh, the police are after you, Dave. <laughs> They, ah, damn it. Did you hide the body? I had to dismember it first. <laughs> That's what Brigham would have wanted. That's right. Good old Brigham. <laughs> no, there's like caves that you can still see that people, that's one of the places they hit out was in these caves. Yeah. Yeah. Because anyway. Well, there's a, a little more on it in just a minute here. Okay. At the end of the year, December 27th, Apostle Wilfred Woodruff tells the state conference in Snowflake, Arizona, and that's where they built a second temple there, right? Snowflake? I didn't know. Yeah. There will be no United States in 1890. So, Oh, uh-huh. another failed prophecy. And, yeah. Who gave this one? This one was Wilford. Wilford Woodruff. So 130 okay. years later, still here. Kind of a little <laughs> slip there. Now this is this is fun. This is just, you know, lying, bald-faced lying. 1880, January 8th, LDS political newspaper again, Salt Lake Herald reports that George Q Cannon's interview with pro-Mormon Omaha Herald in part, quote, yeah, polyandry, no, polygamous marriages have ceased entirely so far as I know, unquote. In fact, mm. in the endowment house alone, 107 men married polygamously in 1879 and 136 in 1880, mostly performed by general authorities. So as far, as far as I know, <laughs> there weren't any. You know that, who that reminds me of is some of Holland's comments to the BBC yeah, just, article. Just, uh, have we done an episode on that? No. Oh, man. That's long overdue. We got to do an episode well, it, on that. We, what we could do it is we could do it on interviews and include uh, Hinckley's shenanigans. Oh, sure. Both, both interviews yeah, where yeah. he just is like, what? You don't think we teach that yeah. anymore? And all that just Yeah, let's plan on that. Let's plan on that and we'll we'll capture some audio and sure. Okay. All right. Anyway. January 9th, Apostle Orson Pratt writes his children that the city of New Jerusalem will be constructed by April of nineteen fifty. Well, they're running behind again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now where'd he pull that date out of his ass? I mean, well, I just told you where he pulled it out of Oh, well, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, okay. Okay. April 6th, our favorite day in the church, John Taylor restores Old Testament practice, practice of Jubilee celebration in honor of the church's 50th birthday. Now, that's an Old Testament practice. Every 50 years, all debts are forgiven. So he, oh. he forgives half of unpaid tithing. Uh, what? Uh, <laughs> half? <laughs> Yeah, funny stuff. Oh my Let's God. Okay. At least a couple more here. May 3rd at Apostles' meeting, the question of overrunning salaries was brought up. Overrunning salaries. Several of the brethren uh, had overdrawn their allowance. They, oh. now li listen to this, they vote to forgive the overdrafts and to increase their annual allowance. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like Congress. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like Quantitative easing. It? There it is. <laughs> now, here's here's one just out of the fucking blue. April, Apostle Joseph F. Smith writes of his belief that the Great Pyramid's measurements predict future events. 
Okay. And we <laughs> we got to get this last one because I mentioned it at the beginning. <clears throat> October 10th. So three years, two months later after Brigham's death, conference sustains John Taylor as church president with George Q. Cannon and Joseph F. Smith as counselors. None of the members of this first presidency are set apart. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. Hmm. Uh, so I kind of thought, or maybe the church just depicted settings apart prior to that time you know the paintings and again depictions showing joseph and oliver and whitmer and all these guys with their hands on people's heads but that could just be uh, you know since we do it that way now of course they did that at the beginning uh no apparently not <laughs> yeah i guess yeah, just romanticizing what they mm -hmm. think should have happened. And that <laughs> kind of leads us right into our topic today. In, in, it kind of does. Way, yeah. yeah, so about uh, some Mormon folklore stuff. So these are stories that came to the top of my mind, at least, as I think back to what's some of the crazy stories, right, that these prophets, seers, and revelators especially <laughs> have shared about stuff that supposedly happened. And and I guess it, we share it for a few reasons in my mind anyway. One is to show, again, some of the crazy, funny stuff. Two, if you try to get a more serious view about it, a lot of this stuff is just obvious lying. And what does it say when the leaders of your organization feel free to just lie about shit? And they may excuse it. We've used the term lying for the Lord, right, a lot. And lying for the Lord, the Jews, usually the connotation of that term is, what, what do you mean by for the Lord, right? Well, I'm lying, I'm embellishing, <laughs> whatever word you want to use, for a good reason, though. Like, I'm trying to help promote the faith of the membership, right, or, or something like this. Like, lying is okay, if you do it for a good reason, kind of a thing. Which, and, which again, yeah. uh, of the modern authorities, old jowls is just the top of the list. It, maybe yeah, maybe if I investigated it, he wouldn't be. But when you stand up in general conference and claim to be holding a copy of the Book of Mormon, that's the original copy. <laughs> and it's and not. And it's obviously not. You're lying. Yeah. Bald face lie. Damn lie, man. Come on. Yeah. Anyway. And that's, I don't know what you guys think as listeners, but I tend to feel that's not okay <laughs> to lie like that. And you're right. I mean, we know of several obvious cases of Holland doing that. And I think we brought up some of those in one of our episodes, the five or six things that were really obvious among the list. So, yeah, let's jump into some of this. So, uh, I don't know where to start. I'll just start with, uh, how about, this is one that I recall, David Patton, member, he was an original member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Got it, right? Right, before would, they even got to Kirtland, yeah. yeah. Right, it says here, I didn't, I didn't know much about David Patton as far as other history stuff. He was killed at the Battle of Crooked River. Mm -hmm. And as regarded as a martyr by members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, he is referred to twice in LDS Church's Doctrine and Covenants, once in Section 114, and posthumously in Section 124. Interesting. So one of the things that he was famous for, this happened after his death. So I'm going to just read this uh, because it's, it's fairly short. Uh, Patton is reportedly the source of a story which has become a part of Mormon folklore. As related by Abraham Smoot, after Patton's death, Patton says he encountered a very tall, hairy, dark-skinned man in Tennessee who said that he was Cain. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if Cain existed, let's, let's say he did exist, and somehow he's escaped death because he's still walking the earth. Yeah. In fact, that's part of his curse, apparently, mm, that he's yeah, cursed to walk the earth, whereas the three Nephites, that was a blessing that they're still walking the earth. Anyway, uh, 
would he walk up to you and say, Hey man, I'm Kane. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, so yeah. So he claims that he walked beside this guy for a couple miles and just had a conversation. Yeah. Hey, Hey, what's up Kane? Oh, that Kane. Oh, what's going on, dude? So he said, as part of the conversation, Kane had earnestly sought death numerous times, but was denied it. And that his mission was to destroy the souls of men. Hey, well, it's nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's walk another couple miles. Hey, you know, Just that alone. I'm going to take this fork in the road right here, buddy. Thanks for sharing that with me. <laughs> Jesus. That's uh, and again, the reference to the source for the black, especially the African black race, descendants of Cain. Well, look, yeah. So, but he goes on. So he said he wasn't wearing any clothes, but his whole body was covered in hair, kind of like Ses- uh, an ape. Or well, and he so Patton was on a horse, and Cain's head reached like his shoulder. Yeah. While he was so it's really tall. Like what is that? Eight feet tall yeah, or something? It's just, it's just, and it's walking along. So yeah, it says in the 1980s, Patton's story was used by some Latter Day Saints to explain Bigfoot sightings in South Weber, Utah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. All right, Dave. Did you have one? I know there's a few, and I've I've got some pulled up here. Well, I was thinking of uh, one. I guess I'm kind of ruining it in a sense, but by next week in uh, D. Michael Quinn's book, we're going to bring up a quote from Eliza R. Snow, wherein Uh she is told by Joseph Smith where the Lost Ten Tribes are, because that's that's a big topic of discussion uh, among a lot of biblical uh, people, not just the LDS. Where are they? with various theories about being disseminated mm-hmm. throughout all the different races and so forth, or they're in the North countries, whatever the hell that means. No, he tells her, he clarifies they're on a different planet altogether. <laughs> <laughs> right. And they've developed technology. So when it's time to return, they'll just jump aboard the enterprise and head on over. Right. <laughs> I have some of that pulled up here. So it says there's two main sources that come to mind with this thing. Uh, The first is lyrics of a hymn written by Eliza R. Snow. So in the hymn, it's and I don't remember ever singing this in church. So this must have been an older, it was, it says here, 1905 hymn book. So obviously this was a good one to take out. It says, and when the Lord saw fit to hide the ten lost tribes away, thou earth was severed to provide the orb on which they stay. Oh, wow. So a piece of the earth was taken away with the lost ten tribes living on it and put somewhere. Well, that's easy to believe since Enoch City got taken away too with the Gulf of Mexico. (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, it, this, this shit's been going on probably for a long time. <laughs> yeah, pieces of the earth, man. I'll take here a piece, there a piece. You know, take pieces of the earth away. Parts, shoot them out. Parts is parts. Pluto. <laughs> parts is parts. <laughs> Shit. Oh, man. So, so the prophet Joseph Smith was a second source. Uh, and this is where he said they were living on a star. I'll read just an excerpt of that. It being a starlit night, the prophet said, Brother Brown, you show me the polar star? Yes, sir, he said, pointing to the North Star. There it is. Yes, I know, said the prophet, but which one? There are a lot of stars there. Grandfather said, can you see the points of the dipper? The the prophet answered, yes. Well, he said, trace the pointers pointing up to the largest star. That is the North Star. The prophet answered, you are correct. Now, he said, pointing toward the star, do you discern a little twinkler to the right and below the polar star? What would cause the everlasting hills to tremble with more violence than the coming together of two planets? The place whereon they reside will return to this earth. So it's, it's, yeah, so it's going to come back. It was a piece of the earth that which separated. 
He said, now this is the part that cracks me up. Now he said, scientists will tell you that is not scientific. No. <laughs> yeah. The, the two planets uh, coming together would be disastrous to both. But when two planets or other objects are traveling in the same direction and one of them with a little greater velocity than the other, it would not be disastrous because the one traveling faster would overtake the other. Wow. What the, f- I mean, that's, you know, I can see the logic he's trying to propose there, it, but it's like, what is this other planet going to like slowly come up to earth and dock with it? <laughs> it would be an extinction level event, obviously. Oh, of course it would, no matter how you look at now, that. It's also oh, taught man. in the church, and this is a, a, a separate uh, uh, mythos or fable or fairy tale or <laughs> that the city of Enoch, I mentioned that. Joseph taught it was taken up where the Gulf of Mexico now resides. It's taught that mm-hmm. it will return as well at or during the second coming. So this planet's going to get pretty big. I guess so. It's or back to its original size, mm. right? According to all these crazy things. Yeah. This, this whole conversation is just whacked. That's that's quoted here. It's really crazy. It talks about the waters rolling back. To make room for the planet to do- to dock with <laughs> dock. That's what I mean. It's just whatever, man. You know what the fuck? And this was the prophet, right? Like we're supposed to believe that shit. Well, and his anyway. his predecessor picked it right up. Didn't lose any speed or whatever you call that. Uh, in the Journal of Discourses, I don't have the reference. Brigham Young taught that there are people on the on the sun, <laughs> yeah, living on the right. sun. Yeah. There's no problem. I think we brought that up. Yeah, once. we did randomly. Some, some time ago. But, yeah, we just randomly brought it up. He said they were like six feet tall or yeah, something. Yeah, dressed right? like Quakers. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Didn't he also say people were living on the moon? Yes. Yeah. That, yeah. That was. Got people on the moon, people on the sun. Sure. You know. Sure. sure. And they're Mormons. Yeah. <laughs> they're not Quakers. Come they. on. They got to be more. Of course, yeah, they just dressed like Quakers is yeah. all. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, that's super heat tolerant material in the clothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, NASA's been trying to get their hands on that shit for years. <laughs> <laughs> right. We just have nothing to trade them that they need, right? Other than water. Um, <laughs> They go through water pretty fast Help. up there. <laughs> whack, man, whack. Oh, my God. So here's another one, Dave. You'll remember this one. Uh, David Whitmer's Field. Remember that story? Sure do. So uh, in spring of 1829, this is kind of how the story goes. Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery were working on the Book of Mormon's translation Oliver wrote regularly to his friend David Whitner, Whitmer about the translation. Eventually, he requested that David come to Harmony to help him and Joseph move. And while David wanted to go, he also recognized that his livelihood depended on plowing his fields. Hello, right? So, unsure about what he should do, David prayed. Okay, here we go. And felt, there we go, feelings, feelings. <laughs> that he should do his plowing and then go to help Joseph and Oliver as soon as he was finished. But when David went to plow his fields the next morning, something crazy happened. And Lucy Mack Smith actually recorded this. She says, the next morning, David took a wooden measure under his arm, went out to sew the plaster, which he had left two days previous, in heaps near his sister's house. But on coming to the place, he discovered that it was gone. He then ran to his sister and inquired of her if she knew what had become of it. Being surprised, she said, why do you ask me? Was it not all sown yesterday? Not to my knowledge, answered David. I'm astonished at that, replied his sister, for the children came to me in the forenoon and begged of me to go out and see the men sew plaster in the field, saying that they never saw anybody sew plaster so fast in their lives. They're running around the field in clouds. Like a a merry melody cartoon, you know? (laughs) 
I accordingly went and saw three men at work in the field, as the children said, but supposing that you had hired some help on account of your hurry, I went immediately into the house and gave the subject no further attention. Mm. David made considerable inquiry in regard to the matter, both among his relatives and neighbors, but was not not able to learn who had done it. However, the family were convinced that there was an exertion of supernatural power connected with this strange occurrence. Hmm. Ooh, because there was a magical worldview, as we've talked about. Ah, So it doesn't actually mention that it was the three Nephites. Did that come up later or that? Yeah. That assumption, I guess, came up later, right? Because it was three men and they're like, well, it could have been the three Nephites. Yeah. Yeah. So some, you know, some of the folklore, it's hard to distinguish uh, between, you know, just the nonsense taught in the church and then the folklore. The folklore, I guess, has, I was going to say, has less evidence to back it up, but that's not true. Where's there any evidence that three men remained on the earth supernaturally in a transfigured state? And would remain here until the second coming of Christ, trying to get, gain converts. I yeah, right. Come on, yeah. And evidently, they got to wear clothes, and they weren't like Harry? eight feet tall, hair all over their body. Uh, yeah, yeah. Great, yeah, great question. Here's another one I recall growing up. This was from Gene R. Cook in a devotional that he gave to BYU. So for those who aren't familiar, the church's university, well, one of the three now, right? Since there's BYU-Hawaii and BYU-Idaho, which used to be Rex College in Idaho, uh, in Provo, has what they call devotionals. And I'm sure the other two schools do this too, Mm -hmm. where sometimes even an apostle will come down and give these kind of like talks to the college body, the student body, in a, in a conference type of a building there. And they give these special talks, right, to the, to the kids. And so these happen on a regular basis. So in 1988, Gene R. Cook came down, gave this talk. In his talk, he's talking about music at one point and how there's music from God and literally, as you'll hear him say, I've got an audio clip here, music from Satan. Hmm. <laughs> and yeah, I want to hear it was that thrash metal or something. Slayer. And he, he, <laughs> he talks about meeting a celebrity in an airplane. And I highly doubt this happened, although he makes it sound like it did. He tries to make this sound pretty real. But let's let's it's about four and a half minutes. Let's let him tell us about his experience. This is the point in his talk where he's talking about music and some from God, some from the devil, etc. Let, let's take it away. But the greatest ones, of course, are the hymns of the church that instill the spirit of the Lord in the one who's singing. And I might quickly add there is music of the devil himself. And do not misunderstand that and try to count it or call it something else. It is music of the devil himself. I have come to mind an experience that happened to me a few years ago with a man whom I'm, I would, I'll name only to speak evil of what he was doing, not of the man. I would not want to be out of order in speaking evil of the man. I suspect there may almost not be anyone here that doesn't know the man. He's one of the fam- most famous rock stars in all the world that I spent two and a half hours with on a plane proselyting him. And his name is Mick Jagger <laughs> in the Rolling Stones. How many know who Mick Jagger is? I know some so. of these older fellows over here don't. <laughs> but most did. <laughs> well, when I got on the plane with this fellow, I didn't recognize him right off. And again, I'll just have to tell you this story in, in great brevity because I had two and a half hours with him and it was an interesting experience. I didn't recognize him right off first thing. Told him I was an elder in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Who are you? And he told me Mick Jagger. And I said, well, I'm glad to meet you too. <laughs> and he was kind of a proudful fellow. And I'm not speaking again of the man, but of what he was doing. And he told me his name again. And I said, well, I'm glad to meet you, Mick. 
And it still didn't totally dawn on me. I just wasn't expecting to see him there. And then he opened up this big magazine he was reading with all these wild-eyed faces and very scantily dressed women, to say the least, and said, that's me. And, of course, I recognized immediately who he was. Not Mick Jagger, no. We began talking. I told him, I have opportunity over the years to be with many young people all over the world. I'm interested in a question you could answer for me. He said, well, what is it? I said, some of the young people I'm with tell me that <clears throat> rock music, the kind you and others are involved in, has no real impact on them. For good or for evil, has no real impact. And others claim that it really does have a bad impact on them. You've been in this thing for 20 years. I'd like to know, what's your opinion? These were his exact words, brothers and sisters, an exact quote. He mm -hmm. said, our music is calculated to drive the kids to sex. <laughs> I was pretty much floored. I'm sure I must have shown him my face. He kind of no. rebounded a little bit and he says, of course, it's up to them what they do. It's not my fault. I'm just earning a lot of money. And as a conversation proceeded, again, there's not time to tell you all, even small part of it. He was delighted at the fact in his mind the family was being destroyed around the world. Told him I had eight children. He told me he had some too but no wives. No. Told me he had a woman pregnant in Virginia, another one in New York, and one in England. Told me he'd had the missionary lessons, some of them. I didn't believe that in the beginning in England, that's where he said, but as I questioned him further, I think he was telling the truth. Mm -hmm. After he'd had three or four drinks, he said quite loudly in the cabin, anybody that believes the Book of Mormon to be the Word of God is a liar. Hey, go The Mick. Book of Mormon is a lie. And I remember, as you would have done, prayerfully thinking in my heart, what shall I say? How can I respond to that? And I remember saying something like this back to him, Mick. You are mighty fortunate today. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, because you're sitting next to a servant of the Lord who's going to correct what you just said. Uh-oh. Because it isn't true. And he said, what are you talking about? And I said, I happen to have a book of Mormon in my briefcase. And I pulled one out and laid it on his lap. I think because of maybe the drinking, and he also looked sick physically. The book was going about like that on his lap. And I said to him, I must have missed that chapter, because I read this book many times, and I believe it to be the Word of God. If there is such a chapter, I want to see it. Of course, there was dead silence. He couldn't say a word. And I said, well, then how about one page? How about one paragraph? Uh-oh. How about one line? How about one word? One word? Mick, I bear testimony, you're the liar. The Book of Mormon is the Word of God. And I told him the best I could. The Lord would hold him responsible for his acts to the degree he understood what he was doing if he didn't turn his life around. Now it's evidence from the following years that followed that he didn't listen. But that doesn't change anything. Because that down the plane he lied. Uh, somebody was lying. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh. Can you imagine? Look, I I don't know Mick and the boys as well as I know other bands. And, and as we've mentioned, I know music back from the 60s, 70s, yeah. especially very well. And I've seen things written about him in interviews, listened to him being interviewed this statement about I'm just making a lot of money and driving the kids, that is not the way. Yeah. Even if yeah. he was drunk, that, that's not no, the way. No, and, and like I was going to say, can you imagine his answer to does, does this music have an impact on kids being as shallow as the, the main reason we write our music is to drive them to sex? That, what? Maybe. Maybe to get him no. to buy it. No. You know, not. not Maybe to, yeah, to get him, <laughs> you know, rock and roll. Sex. It sounds like he was, got a little point <laughs> that he wanted to make. <laughs> to the, oh, yeah. God, man. Yeah. So, and when he says, don't, you know, don't count it or call it a different way, yeah. the music is from Satan. I mean, so the devil <laughs> writes his own music and then vicariously plays it through yeah. Megadeth and Slayer and all this. 
death metal. Oh no, and Mick Jagger. By the way, I'm trying to think of yeah. a lot of their songs, and there's not a lot of them that deal with sex. Think no, about not think about I, the major, you yeah. know, Brown Sugar. Uh, God, there's so Brown many. Sugar, yeah, I mean, Brown Sugar. He he wants to have sex with a black chick, basically, right? Um, but the other ones, yeah, I mean, I'm not a Stones like aficionado, whatever term you want to use, where I know yeah. all the stuff. But but yeah, I'm not aware. Like it's their way pop top ten stuff. I can't think really. Yeah. Anyway, it's and there's a lot of these kinds of stories out well, there. Well, and that's the thing oh, when it's yeah. when they're told, especially in a setting like that by a general authority. Now they mm-hmm. they automatically gain credence among the LDS population, and a story like that is so uh, sensational. Yeah. That it's going to spread like wildfire. Sure, it is. And uh, yeah, there, but there was a big push though in the eighties uh, among uh, the uh, authorities of the church to uh, get kids to quit listening to rock music. Mm-hmm. You know, my our own parents hated the fact that I was into it so much. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of things you know playing role playing games like dungeons and dragons um that i remember a guy standing up at the pulpit and saying that that was of the devil and i i just thought of that right now so i didn't look for that quote in advance <laughs> for our episode but you know of course we've since seen just the ridiculousness of of those statements and and actually the social and mental benefits mm-hmm. of playing role playing games like that uh, with with friends or whatever and you know it's whatever man you know there have been some known kind of liars in the church like you were saying you know holland is a modern one you had paul h dunn was a big character that was popular growing up uh, paul dunn had all these crazy war stories about how he survived by the inch of his you know skin of his teeth whatever and um one of, and, and then one of his major stories, he had played uh, Major League Baseball with the St. Louis Cardinals, that he was one of only six in his thousand-man combat group who survived World War II and was the only one of six survivors who wasn't wounded. And this was all because of God, right, according to his stories. So um, wait a minute. God let those other men die then? Oh, sure. Yeah. What? Because— oh. God's kind of a douchebag, you know. Um, Apparently. But then uh, Dunn was the sole survivor among 11 infantrymen in a 100-yard race against death. I remember that story. During which one burst of machine gun fire ripped his right boot off, another tore off his ammunition and canteen belt, and yet another split his helmet in half, all without... Oh, ending. come on. Do you remember that story? I do, I, but yeah, if a bullet hits one of those helmets, it just goes right through the helmet well or or makes a dent it doesn't crack the damn thing in half yeah yeah uh and he also claimed (laughs) his best friend died in his arms from serious injuries sustained in a battle okinawa uh look so he's caught at some point in his um lying his first response early on was quote i haven't purposely tried to embellish or rewrite history i tried to illustrate points that would create interest I was simply putting history in little finer packages. <laughs> oh, oh, that's clever. Uh, yeah, I love that. And then he admits it in October 23rd, 1991. He writes, I've been accused of various activities. I'm becoming a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I confess that I have not always been accurate. So he's still kind of no, covering it. I have not, not always been it. Accurate accurate. in my public talks and writings. In other words, I lied. Furthermore, I have indulged in other activities inconsistent with the high and sacred office which I've held. For all of these things, I feel a deep sense of remorse and ask forgiveness of any whom I may have offended. My brethren of the general authorities over a long period of time have conducted in depth investigations of the charges made against me. They've weighed the evidence, they have censored me, 
and placed a heavy penalty on me. I accept their censure and the imposed penalty and pledge to conduct my life in such a way as to merit their confidence and full fellowship. In making these acknowledgments, I plead for the understanding of my brethren and sisters throughout the church and give assurance of my determination so to live as to bring added respect to the cause I deeply love and honor to the Lord who is my Redeemer. Sincerely, Paul H. Dunn. We don't know what that heavy penalty was. He wasn't excommunicated. We assume that he was disfellowshipped or put on probation or some other kind of church discipline. Um, but anyway, yeah. yeah. Funny yeah. stuff, man. Uh, that One case of thousands where he was actually kind of caught and called out. And I think that's because an external party was questioning one of his stories. And so the church had to respond, right? Exactly. Because they yeah. were fine going along with his story. And so, all those these, years. These fall in the category of faith promoting. So it's okay to lie as long as in the end, the result is a positive one, meaning the faith in the members is increased mm-hmm. by buying into the story. I remember my own biological father, just as an example, and I don't know if he was losing his memory. I guess he was. Because about three or four visits in a row, he told me the same story yeah. of simply going home teaching. And why is he by himself? I don't remember that. But he can't find this place where he's going. Mm-hmm. He's in an apart- apartment complex or a series of complexes. And he's walking all around and he can't find the damn place. And so he says a little prayer and walks right to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that's a typical yeah. uh, example. And then the fact that he had to tell me that so many times in a row means that he's allowed that to have this powerful impact on his life. Mm-hmm. It's self-created validation about the truthfulness of prayer or whatever whatever the, the subject is. and. I'll just, oh, anyway, it's so weak. Yeah, it is. It is. And and look, you know, to wrap it up, these kind of things, why do we even bring these up? We kind of mentioned it in the beginning of the episode, because these men, a lot of them who we're quoting here, again, prophets, seers, and revelators is how they're supposed to be looked upon by the membership. And they were outright lying, but it seems to be okay to lie for the Lord, And some of these lies were just so wild, you know, like, why would you create a story that you were going down a trail on your horse and there comes Cain, (laughs) you know, and you're, I mean, come, come on, you know, who even needs that story, right? I I guess maybe he wanted to make a point, you know, watch out. You know, that's a good point there, because like I just said, most of these are to promote faith in the general membership. What's faith promoting about seeing Cain yeah, <laughs> going down I mean, the road, telling you he's out to destroy the souls of men? <laughs> you're just plodding along on your horse. Oh, uh, really? Is that what you're trying to do? Okay, great. Oh, <laughs> and if time. you live righteously enough, someday you can have an inheritance on the sun. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Anyway, guys. Well, thanks for bearing with us through this kind of... Uh, Funny, I guess, uh, episode on some of these Mormon folklore. There's plenty out there. I could see us maybe going through some other fun ones in a second episode at some Mm -hmm. point. But um, all right, guys, that's it for me. Dave, any final words? Well, I got to go plow my field. Uh... I mean, (laughs) sow my oats. I mean, uh, what the hell is plaster, by the way? He was sowing plaster? Plaster of Paris or something. I think they... Actually, that actually has uh, a soil. It, oh, enhancer. Yeah, soil properties are changed, I guess, when you spread plaster. An old yep. an old activity, I guess, that they would do. Yeah. It's, what Was it folklore? <laughs> who knows? Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll check with you later. Uh, next year. Yeah. Oh. Have, have a happy new year. 2020, when everyone's vision will become perfect. That's the prophecy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys.
Bye.